Thursday, June 11th. Percy turned the knob and pushed, then threw her shoulder into it. Most of the buildings in the historic district still had their original doors, thick slabs of wood with dense glass windows, and even a tiptoe on their pine floor sounded like an FBI raid. She visited the electronics shop every couple of months to buy AAA batteries in bulk for her dad, who was a passionate advocate of shopping local. But he couldn't personally shop at Chuck's Stuffs because he was also an advocate for nonviolence. More than once, Percy's dad had wanted to punch Chuck in his squirmy face for sweet-talking his wife. Her dad didn't like Percy sharing air with Chuck the Duck, whose outturned feet gave him a slight waddle. But Chuck wasn't a complete creep. He practically ignored Percy. Though she had her mom's straight black hair, dark skin, and almond eyes, Percy had inherited her dad's short and slender frame. Not Chuck's type. The front counter was overrun with customers. Percy let her annoyance exit via a guttural growl, knowing no one would hear her over the chugging air conditioner unit. She smiled when she realized a broken air conditioner demonstrated abysmal appliance prowess. She whispered, Classic Chuck, and shifted to her secondary mission. Her back pocket held a stack of coupons from Best Buy, Staples, and Office Max, each of which itched to be part of her quest to sabotage the duck. While patting an impatient rhythm on the sides of her thighs, she shuffled through the cluttered aisles. Every shelf was piled with a hodgepodge of unrelated items. Solar-powered landscaping lights, electric fences for dogs, remote-control airplanes and label makers. Percy paused to admire a handwritten sign that said, All paper slicers, 10% off. It was displayed in a plastic name tag sleeve. The sleeve was pinned to a dirty piece of foamy double-stick mounting tape, which was no longer sticky. She fanned out her coupons, selected a deal from Staples for crafting supplies, and slipped it in front of Chuck's sign. The row along the sidewall contained video game consoles, desktop safes, lighters, beepers, flip phones, and Bluetooth headsets. Percy opened a flip phone to marvel at the artifact's tiny screen and slide her thumb over the actual physical buttons. After closing it with a chomp over a cell phone-related coupon from Best Buy, something caught her eye. She picked up the white Bluetooth headset accented with gold and smirked. She imagined it tucked around the ear of a director of a pyramid scheme taking his daughter's babysitter out on a date to Applebee's. The device was much lighter than she'd expected. Buoyed in her open palm, it felt empty. She raised her hand to survey it at eye level, as if examining a specimen recovered from an alien ship. The headset coyly sent out a false vibe of impotence. It seemed inert from the outside, but Percy knew the flip of a switch would send it into invisible but fervent animation. It would become capable of something that, not long ago, would have been perceived as witchcraft. The droning air conditioner unit cut off with a slight shudder. The unexpected blast of silence slivered Percy in two. One half of her body was focused on this dormant plastic molded around magical potential. The other half had nothing in its empty dangling hand. That part of her was powerless and uninspired. Chuck slid open the back of a display case and his customer stepped forward. The scraping of glass against metal and creaking of warped wood caused something inside Percy to collapse. Her internal scaffolding had crumbled to dust, aerosolizing and exiting via a post-startle exhale. Both of her hands tightened, 
She felt hard, cold plastic press into one palm and sharp fingernails dig hot into the other. Percy heard the door open behind her and felt an internal tide swirl to push her outside, rush her through the streets, and wash her up onto her own doorstep. At dinner, when Percy's dad asked about the batteries, a rush of reality prickled the sides of her neck and face. Her fork froze inches from her mouth, and without lying, she told him she'd forgotten. The sound of metal scuffing her teeth echoed between them. Percy did the dishes with great focus, with only one thing on her mind. On any other night, she'd have noticed the trees in their backyard were perfectly still despite velvety clouds whooshing above them. She'd have smiled while watching the tiniest soap bubbles on her hands, sure she could hear cute, high-pitched popping as they disappeared against her breath. But that night, all she noticed was the presence of contraband hidden upstairs in her nightstand. It called to her in a way that was impossible to ignore. It told her she was brave. It told her she was an idiot. It framed how she saw things, her thoughts seesawing from fuzzy and disjointed to crystal clear. It was like she was in an optometrist's chair looking through lenses that were either too strong or kaleidoscopes. Her evening routine continued with homework in her dad's study on his oversized maroon leather chair. When she was tiny, she curled up on that chair to doze, lulled by her parents' soft conversations. When she started school, she sat side-saddle and used her thighs as a workspace. That night, her calves slid into the divots on the armrest that her legs had made as they'd grown longer and heavier over the years. Percy opened her biology book and stared into the shadow between the pages. Since dinner, she'd been wavering between two options. Toss the headset in a dumpster or anonymously return it. Since Chuck's shop was such a huge mess, he'd never even know the thing was gone. He probably didn't even know he'd had it in the first place. Logically, it really didn't matter that she'd taken it or whether or not she returned it, which was weird considering how guilty she felt. The familiar sound of her dad ripping open a package of batteries and popping them into his dictaphone brought Percy back to the present moment. This is my last pack, sweetheart. Can you go soon? Her decision was very clear. Dad... I don't want to go back there. In a voice turned to steel, he said, What did he say to you, Percy? I told you I didn't want you going in there. I'm gonna... Oh, no, Dad, he didn't. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. The duck's just such a weirdo, and his store stinks like dust and cologne and grape gum. I mean, I'll go, but if you would upgrade to a digital voice recorder, you wouldn't need batteries. That would be so good for Mother Earth. You'd tell me if Chuck ever made you uncomfortable, right? I mean, the way he treated your mom... You know what? No. I might be an old chugging train, but I can change course. He held his dictaphone between two fingers as if it were a moldy banana peel and said, It's time I chuck this ancient artifact, no pun intended. We'll go to Radio Shack and you can help me lurch into the 21st century. Percy wanted to be excited by this news and flattered that her dad was up for changing a huge part of his life based on her suggestion. But they hadn't been to the mall together since her mom left. Under the guise of exercise, the three of them used to roam laps. 
They'd pretend they were shopping for a cruise or safari or movie shoot and search store windows for the perfect gear. They'd visit the food court, close their eyes, and describe the smells. Outside of Sparrow Pizzeria, her dad could detect hints of oregano crushed by the wrinkled toes of an Italian grandmother. Her mom found ruddy violin music in Chinese Panda's bright red Kung Pao chicken. They never actually went into any stores, just floated together like a heavy cargo ship through the choppy sea of aimless shoppers, bored kiosk vendors, kicking babies, and all their disjointed echoes. As they cruised, Percy's mom would periodically squeeze her shoulder or smooth her hair. Last stop before home was always the bench in front of the soft pretzel place. Percy's dad made sucking noises as he cleaned the butter, sugar, and cinnamon off of his fingers, and her mom reached over her head to smack him with napkins. Even after Percy was too old for it, she ducked and giggled. (laughs) She didn't want to go back to the mall just yet, but guessed she wouldn't have to. She guessed her dad would never actually modernize. He would never be able to sacrifice the visceral clunk and whir of his dictaphone's buttons and gears. He told her that feeling the mechanisms activate in his palm made his thoughts more succinct. And if Percy were being honest, she would admit to loving the sound of that clunk. She savored that noise because it signaled a transition between authoritative psychiatrist drone and normal dad voice. This was especially clear after moments when a clunk was followed by a fart and his surprised voice that said, Geese? At this time of year? Percy knew she was the only one left who he trusted with both versions of himself. Her dad had rested the dictaphone on his desk and turned to dig a folder out of his filing cabinet. Oh, I should hold on to this antiquity for a while, just in case. Maybe we'll go back to the mall next week. Percy heard the clunk and watched the top of her dad's head as he began to dictate his patient notes. Patient exhibits signs of obsessive-compulsive disorder with possible schizophrenic symptomology. What was that thing he said he did? He mumbled to himself while shuffling through his notes. Ah, there, that's it. Having reported using a metal filing tool to flatten the seams of all his blue jeans and storing the filaments in an empty matchbox in which he claims his deceased grandmother resides. Percy's dad ejected the tape he'd been recording onto, scribbled something on the label, and dropped it in his outbox. After grabbing a new file and retrieving the associated tape, he clunked it into the dictaphone. When he played back recordings of his patient's sessions, he used headphones for the more disturbing subject matter, but this one was benign, if not sweetly inspiring. A meek voice came from the speaker. Installing safeguards into life to make sure I don't get desensitized. I coach ultimate frisbee every week, tutor at a middle school. These are moments of pure joy that dissolve stress away. They're completely easy things. I'm intentionally doing that because I think, well... When I give myself a lot of unplanned time is when I have my problems. Her dad's voice came next. It sounded like it was talking through a tube of cardboard. When you look at a brick wall, do you see the bricks or the space between them? Or maybe just a wall? Dad, why did you ask Kincaid about brick walls? Oh, Percy, I'd lose my license if anyone knew you could identify my clients' voices by name. So I'll just answer theoretically. Before continuing, Percy's dad took a breath and smiled at his daughter. He never asked her why she spent evenings reading his clinical psychiatry texts. He knew she was searching for a way to rationalize what her mother had done. As he burned through batteries, she whizzed through her homework and then switched to devouring books in his library. 
He gave neutral answers to our questions about narcissism, delusions, and sociopathy, and never once inquired about context. He saw her face change the moment she was forced to conclude her mother was as neurotypical as anyone else. There was relief, but then anger as she stood to select one of the books she'd been avoiding. One of the books about suicide. He knew it was healing for her to seek this knowledge on her own, in her own time. But what he never considered was how therapeutic it was for Percy to simply be held by the softness of his leather chair and immersed in the love carried by his silvery voice. Dad. Wall? Bricks? Guy who's not Kincaid? Uh, <clears throat> yes. <clears throat> A question like that has the potential to help someone pause and consider potential. Someone who sees only a wall, an absolute solid structure, might not feel it's even worth the effort to change. But if a person perceives the bricks, the smaller movable components, possibility may present itself. Looking at things that way might lead a person to consider themselves as a complex campaign of various smaller parts instead of some static structure that cannot change. Once this perception of possibility is accepted viscerally, it begins to make sense on the mental and emotional levels as well. If integers are made of fractions, the natural step is to understand that those fractions can be added up to make a different integer that has a new value. Wait, Dad. Fractions will just add up to the same integer. That's the trick, isn't it? The game? Things don't have to add up to the same integer. The majority of us have the bits that we need to succeed. We don't need anything added to us or taken away. What we can choose to do, though, is start using some of the things we have and stop using some of the others. We can decide on a new sum for ourselves. The hard part is changing the formula. Changing our rules. Deviating from the only formula we've ever used. It's really hard, and certainly scary, to rearrange variables to make a new equation, but with the right help, it's possible. Many of us think we're walking around with forks in us, as in, put a fork in him, he's done. Kincaid, for example, sees the forest, but is beginning to recognize the trees. He knows there's something rotting in his fridge's produce drawer, but he doesn't think he can open it up and toss the slimy carrot tops. I mean, I'm not Kincaid, some completely theoretical person. Dad, I'm going to time you. How many metaphors can you come up with in 30 seconds? Ready? Go! Percy's dad switched tapes while he answered. Purse, you know I have at least 10 good ones ready at all times. But let's stick with fractions. Even if a new formula is mathematically sound, when things get hard, that old formula, the one that is familiar and known, eventually, usually, it wins out. And that's where you come in? That's where I come in, exactly. But I just facilitate. Defining new formulas is easy. Just ask anyone who's made a New Year's resolution. My most important job, first and foremost, is to help someone believe that the new formula is viable. They need to know that all the bits and bobs are already in their toolbox, even if they're far in the back of that toolbox or a bit rusty or in need of repair. Along the way, if they believe the potential is inside of them, that they're innately and naturally able to change, it'll feel less like they're faking. And it'll feel less like they're broken and worthy of only being thrown away. Hence the difference between seeing a brick wall and its bricks. So, Mom, did she just see a wall? Oh, no, no, Percy, no. Your mom, your mom saw bricks. She saw the pores in bricks, the molecules, the atoms and their spinning electrons. She saw where the electrons went when they disappeared into other dimensions. She saw it all, honey, and she felt it all watching her. What happened to your mom was just, it was just too much for her. 
She was one of my bricks, Dad. She was really, really there. It's still harder without her. For me too, Purse, but we still have her, don't we? Not in the same ways, obviously, but she's not gone from us. We don't need to change that formula. She's always in all the formulas. <sighs> She'd be proud of you, Purse. I know I am. Percy's stomach twisted into a knot, and her eyes fell to the book on her lap. I'm going to go to bed. Okay, I'll come say goodnight, but I won't wake you up. Percy filled a glass with water and climbed the stairs. She had made a decision. She'd wipe her fingerprints off that damn Bluetooth headset for the third time, wrap it tightly in a nondescript old t-shirt, and toss it into the dumpster behind her school the next morning. On her way up the stairs, she paused to examine each family photo that lined the wall. She loved those photos now, but back when she was younger and angstier, she wanted them gone. Every time she had retreated to her room, chased by anger or vexation, she'd shoot resentment at that parade of photos. Those pictures used to remind her of the lights on an airplane that illuminate the way in an emergency, except those faces had mocked her emergencies. Their absurd smiles and bad hairdos, would stare wordlessly from the past, unable to understand her or offer solutions. Not long before her mom died, Percy strategized their removal. Aiming to prove that no one even noticed those pictures anymore, she stuck a couple googly eye stickers on each face. The image of her as a baby playing in a sandbox with wiggly pupils seemed more accurate. Percy figured she'd wait 24 hours and then present her case for a smooth repainted wall. But by the next morning, the stickers were gone. The stickers were gone, the glass was cleaned of residue, and a new family photo had been hung. A recent one that they hadn't posed for. Percy recognized the scene as the neighborhood block party they'd reluctantly attended a couple weeks before. The three of them were on a neighbor's park bench with her mom in the middle. It was just like the bench in front of the soft pretzel place in the mall. They were surrounded by people, yet happy to be all alone. The photo captured Percy and her dad leaning in toward her mom, each of them wearing the same smile. Makes Old New was written and produced by someone called Dora Henry. For more information and sound credits, visit lovemakesoldnew.wordpress.com. And if you like what you hear, please leave an iTunes rating. Thanks for listening.